everyone and welcome to the social contract a commander podcast i'm mike allman and joining me is my co-host alex lap alex what's up man not too much mike and this episode i think has been a long time coming yeah we had a poll on our social media Mm -hmm. and our listeners overwhelmingly asked for this show topic mike which is what uh it's it's hey you know what you guys don't really do enough talking about group hug so maybe you so maybe you could actually talk about group hug for once um no it's we 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 talk about how much we like group hug yes and we're gonna talk about what that means um but it's how do you pilot a group hug deck like what play group hug yeah hey it's really cool that you guys like uh driving hovercrafts but like (laughs) how how do you make one Okay, yeah. well, we've and, made a group hug deck. We've actually made several on the show. Mm-hmm. You can go yep. back and listen to those. And we've talked extensively about how we build decks and uh, and what kinds of decisions we make when we're making the deck. But actually using that deck in the game, that's a whole other matter, Mike. Right. This is, this is going to be much less... We're going to talk a little bit about deck construction. Mm-hmm. Not a lot, but we're going we're gonna to touch on it real quick. But this is going to be much more of, I have the cards in my hand now that I've made my deck. So what am I doing? Like, it, how how does how does group hug work with the what table? Do? How do I what do? And uh, we're going to talk about what do. Um, but if you want to support the show or suggest topics like this, um, there's a couple of different ways that you can do that. You can join our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/socialcontractedh or search for the social contract in the bar of their homepage. Uh, you can also check the show notes for a direct link there, and also a direct link to our Discord server. We've got a couple of questions about piloting a group hug deck. That we're going to touch on here that specifically came from that Discord server. Um, there, it's also easy to ask Judge Alex for rules questions, looks at car, or look at cards that are really fun and entirely underutilized, as well as suggest topics for this show. And speaking of topics for this show and our Discord server, this question uh, comes from our Discord server about today's topic. So let's just get right into it. Um, I love that you're making this episode. Great us two, uh, I think it would be nice if you can include some kind of intro that clearly explains, as if everyone is a new listener, hey, what's up, new listeners, um, what exactly you mean when you say group hug, uh, that the intent is to win the game and what the strategy of winning looks like, you know, some of your win stats, perhaps, we can we can try, I don't have numbers I don't keep exactly, stats but you my, and I. It seems like I would be the kind of person who would keep stats on my games. I yeah. don't. And we we could we could guesstimate at the very least, um, and, and that a lot uh, uh, in that strategy depends on the way the deck is piloted. If you'd include that, I feel that this could be a great introduction episode to group hug that clears up a lot of the confusion and stigma around the strategy. So a couple of things there. First of all, thank you very much for the contribution here. Let's talk about when somebody says group hug. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you, Alex? Like, what makes a deck a group hug deck? That's an excellent question. And goodness, you could just go on and on and on about what that answer is. Um, Right. You could start from, I know uh, edhrec.com has a category for group hug. 
How mm-hmm. is that filtered? Well, I believe they're looking for specific cards with clauses in them that would kind of give them a good feel for what a group hug deck is. But I don't think that it's defined rigorously like if you have this many creatures in your deck, it's now a creature typal deck. I think it's much more of an attitude. And part of that attitude, Mike, is what we're going to talk about here today. And that's how you play the deck. So to make a very long meandering answer short, I think that a group hug deck is about enriching the people around you. It's about ensuring that everyone at the table is having a good time. Where have I heard that before? And Mm -hmm. it's about taking every opportunity that you can to sort of make this game more interesting to to take chances where maybe you would just be playing a normal old staple well now you could be putting in a card that's uh that benefits yourself as well as the table and it it is a little bit hard to pin down isn't it but i feel in my heart really that that it's about uh making a deck that is fun for the table to play with and against in addition to being able to win and having a strategy uh, that I think just avoids feels bad situations and encourages feels good situations, Mike. Yeah. So it, it, my, my condensed, super simplified version of it that I look at mm-hmm. is my goal in making slash playing a group hug deck. I want everyone to do the cool thing that they want their deck to do, exactly. but I want to win. I want everybody to do the thing. I want everybody to try and pop off. I want everybody to have the opportunity, but I want to win. Right. And that's the goal. I mean, we're, we're going to get into some of the competition and king making and a whole bunch of other things. And frankly, stigmas is the wrong word, but some of them are about uh, being in group is the hug. Wrong word. I think that there is a stigma around group hug. Some of them. Some of them. There, there's a couple of different. It's It's very fun. Uh, I'm excited to get in that part of the conversation with you. And here's the thing. When we say that, like, you know, you know, what's your strategy for winning and what it looks like and, you know, win stats. Here's the thing. My best deck, my best deck is a group hug deck. My Silvala Explorer Return deck. The entire thing is, hey, everybody, by the time this game is over, we're going to draw half of our decks. Easy. And Mike, I think that ties in very well to your first point is is that group hug decks aren't really any different from a normal deck are they nope and that's that's what we're going to get into so uh i'm pretty excited about this because that hopefully that clears up some of the uh confusion on group hug versus not group hug it's hey i still want to win i still want to have my deck do the thing it's supposed to do but Part of that is I'm going to help everybody do what they're going to do. I'm just going to help myself it, more. See. Yeah, exactly. So here's the thing. Uh, uh, the follow-up question here. What sort of things, if any, do you do to make sure that you're still trying to win the game, even though you're helping or quote-unquote helping everyone else? Do you have favorite ways to make sure you're still helping yourself more? So we kind of broke down some of these questions into, I think we've got 11 different commandments, hugmandments, whatever we're going to call them, as far as this is what it is to pilot, build, and run a group hug deck. And my first thing is, don't don't overcomplicate it. Make your deck the same way you normally mm-hmm. would. So what do you want the deck to do? How do you want it to win? Build off that. And then 
when you're building the same type of slots that you'd normally fill, oh, I want this many targeted removal, I want this many board wipes, I want this much ramp, I want this much synergy, etc. All you're doing differently here is you are including and prioritizing things that are also going to help the table as opposed to just yourself. Uh, one of my big ones, hey, uh, Heartbeat of Spring. Uh, two and a green for an enchantment that says whenever a land is tapped for a mana, it produces another of that color versus something that, you know, is a mana doubler just for yourself. Well, I'm going to give all of my opponents more value on their lands. I'm going to give them ramp as well. And it's going to cost me mana to start that effect. But you're going to do a mana doubler for three mana. Exactly. And you have to look at I mean, it that to like Zendikar Resurgent, right? Which is right. a personal mana doubler that gives you some card draw. Much, much more expensive on the mana value uh, because it, it's selfish, right? And when we have this group hub value we've talked about, what we're really talking about is the fact that these costs, these effects that you want for yourself and you want for the table mm -hmm. cost less because you're giving them away. Right. Sakura Tribe Elder is one in a green that you can sacrifice to get yourself a tapped basic. Veteran Explorer is one green <laughs> for a creature that when it dies, everybody go gets two basics mm. untapped. There is a mana value in giving yourself. Green, exactly. And here's the thing. I think the concept, and we're going to talk about it a lot, is when you are the group hug player, you give somebody else the ability to win the game. That's not true. You are giving everyone the ability to win the game. You just need to be ready for it. And that's where we're getting into. So how are some ways that we're talking about uh, giving ourselves the ability to win? What's what's our second tenet here, Alex? Sure, Mike. Uh, my group hug tenet commandment, number two, consider what your deck's goal is and create a path to victory starting with your opening hand. Now, competitive Magic players have probably heard this advice for actual games of Magic where things are on the line. You want your hand to have a path to victory. You want to look at your hand and think, okay, I'm going to play this land turn one, then I'm going to maybe make this turn one play, turn two ramp into this, turn three do this. But if you look at your hands and you're thinking, okay, maybe I'll have my first spell turn four. I mean, that's just, that's just a mulligan, right? To encourage your chances of winning, to actually elevate your chances of winning, you need to start with a good beginning. And that's just having a strong opening hand, having between three and four lands, preferably not too little or too more than that, but also having a nice set of low-cost spells that you can cast. You don't want to have an opening hand full of those high-value spells. And Mike, you and I both love those Battlecruiser effects, but that's one oh, of the yeah. reasons why we have to temper ourselves. We can't put too many in the deck because then we might get too many in our opening draw. Right. It's... It's one of those things, this applies to all players. It, it applies to you most, obviously, because you know what your deck does, you know what's in it, and you know what it's supposed to do. But one of the fears that I have, when the frankly, the only fear that I have when I play my, my group hug deck and I say, hey, this is a deck that does group hug effects, is that somebody else at the table will keep a less than optimal starting hand because I'm going to help them out. Mm. Listen, I'm going to be able to try and get you some extra lands. I'm going to be able to try and get you some extra card draw. But that doesn't mean keep your one lander with your soul ring in it and nothing else that's under five mana. Because... Yeah, this is a this is a windfall, not tax collection. 
exactly surprised yes it is it, I, we are we are giving boons yes. we are not literally lifting off of the ground well sometimes well, i think that's but not that's all the, the time. power of, of rupug <laughs> and one of the things i love most about it is that for those people with not optimal decks maybe newer players who made their first deck by themselves without mm-hmm. modifying a precon uh, maybe they're they're just new to deck building and they've made a not necessarily suboptimal, but maybe they just didn't balance their mana base properly. Maybe they put their meta curve. Maybe the bump is in the wrong spot. Who knows? Group Hug can help smooth out those issues. Maybe maybe you're playing with somebody that's been playing more than you and I combined, and they've got a pretty good deck, and it's fun, and it does what it's supposed to do. But then they just run into 20 cards in a row where it wasn't shuffled well, and there's nothing but spells, and there's no lands, Right. It happens to everybody. Hey, 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 let's let's and do a poll happen. of anybody that's, who's that's played Magic before. You. Have you ever been flooded? Have you ever been mana screwed? Never? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> it's it's such a fundamental problem that other games designed to compete with Magic have used that as their core tenet to build the entire game around, is that difference in resources. Um, and you see that with games like Hearthstone. Anyway, we talked about winning, and we briefly glossed over this, but this is advice we've given in a previous episode. Um, if you're wondering how to make your group hug deck win or how to go for a win or or what kinds of win cons you need to put in, look at what your deck is doing and know that unless you are just, I mean, basically a super genius who's created an entirely novel way to give out value, that there is probably an existing deck archetype or strategy that approximates what your deck is doing at least for the win con. Now, you don't have to run all the cards that archetype uses, but you can use the win it, It's almost like not every uh, not every rectangle is a square, but every square is a rectangle kind of effect. Not every deck can be turned into a group hug, effect, uh, group hug deck, but every deck, I think verbatim, every commander deck that exists can have group hug effects in it and still function, and it's still run. And sometimes that's going to be counterintuitive to what the deck wants to do. If it's if it's particularly restrictive, well, then I don't want to give resources while I'm trying to take resources away. Right. It might be counterproductive for my stack stuff to run group hug pieces because that's the exact opposite of what my deck is trying to do. Or, hear me out, you give everybody uh, extra stuff and then you also restrict the one person that you need to target to make not. So- it's true. I've, <laughs> I've considered building a sort of naughty and nice style deck. Uh, and and Zedra cool. was kind of in that yeah. direction where give good stuff, some give bad get stuff. The gift, some people get the hatred. You know. Yeah, I dig it. And how many times have I made that exact deck? At least three. <laughs> exact three. So let's go into the next part of that because the concepts of what your deck does and how it's going to interact and how do you win, etc. Uh, Rule zero should be important for every pod, whether it's a pod that you've been in a thousand times, whether you're at an LGS and it's a bunch of people I haven't played with. Rule zero should be a discussion. It should be a conversation. I argue that rule zero for a group hug deck is more important than just about anybody else. Well, Mike, because, let's, let's slow that roll real quick. right? Yeah. We had our first uh, question of the day was, you know, Build us from the ground up. And and we do have oh. a lot of beginners listening. Mike, what is rule zero? What does that even mean? Gotcha. So rule zero is the concept of having a conversation before the game is started. You're all sitting down at the table. You have your decks. You're shuffling. And while you're shuffling, a conversation about what your deck has, what your deck does, 
how your deck uh, is going to interact with the board. You know, people talk about power level. Everybody's deck is a seven, so there's no such thing as a seven. Um, it's the conversation as you're sitting down before the game has started to discuss what your intents are for the game when it does start, right? What is there anything that you'd add to that? Now, when some people refer to rule zero mm-hmm. as, you know, in that way, it's, it's it's about exactly what you just said. It's about having that conversation about expectations, about what decks you're bringing to the table and, and how you sort of work your deck. And, and you'll get into your uh, delightful sort of mnemonic device here. But some other people, <laughs> if they talk about rule zero, they might be talking about something entirely different. They might be talking about a custom ban list. Oh, sure. Yeah. Or any number of other things. Right. It's a, hey, uh, I was a part of a group that, hey, we're, our ban list is shorter. Like one of our friends really likes to play uh, the Prophet of Crufix in one of their decks. Yeah, and, I bet they do. And it's like, well, yeah, cool. I, I would also it's like that card. Prophet of Crufix. You know, you know, stuff like that, where it's sometimes that's what you're looking for. There are, I, I've been in a, a play group before where, hey, we don't do tutors. Okay. Fair enough. You know, and sometimes it's it's the absolute yeses, the absolute noes, the, okay, well, here's the intent. Here's the thing. Rule zero is never going to be perfect, but the conversation is at least going to alleviate what would have been bad circumstances exactly. without it. Right? Conversations are important because everybody's coming into this game with a slightly different view, slightly different angle or expectation of, of what's going to happen. Yeah. And... And really, this just goes well for basically every interaction that you have in your life. If it's a new social interaction, if you're meeting somebody new, if you're trying something new, setting expectations before you do it, that's just a good rule of thumb, Mike. I am never going to hold it against somebody if they sit down, we have a rule zero, and they say, oh, I am not interested in that. And they get up and go mm-hmm. to another pod. That's, that's going to be have fine. That conversation. Exactly. I'm because glad we did that now and not turn four. Because here's the thing. Either one person is going to feel bad or three people are going to feel exactly. bad if that's the case. Let's have nobody feel bad. stewing, feeling like now they can't say anything. Right. That's why we're getting it all out in the open at the beginning. So what I have generated... And I'm. It, this probably isn't new to anybody, but I, I've tried to. I've tried to, like I say, I like to simplify, dumb down, and quicken uh, just about everything I possibly can when it comes to big concepts. That's cute. Here is here's my new thing for rule zero: what do, how do, when, how, when, when. So, what does your deck do? How does it do it? How does your deck win? And when does your deck win? Okay, this is my deck. It is, uh, I'll keep going with my Silvala Explorer Return deck. Mm-hmm. My deck is a lot of, a lot of mana, a lot of card draw for everybody, and it is a pillow fort deck until I can get to a couple of win cons that are typically, uh, an alternate win con such like a Helix Pinnacle or, uh, something where it's, uh, I, I just, I accrue so many creatures all at once and then I swing once, but I protect right. myself and I huddle behind the pillow fort. Uh, I typically will win on about turn six with that deck. Wow. And that, that is, is a super fast. And it is a group hug. I'm going to give everybody everything. Here's the thing that game is going to be over by turn seven or eight, no matter what. I'm typically going to win in about turn six. And that's the concept. So me saying that, if I'm playing that deck and everybody else is playing a turn eight, turn nine deck, well, maybe Mm -hmm. even if it's group hug, 
maybe I don't play that deck. Or maybe people want to play because it is a deck that has group hug effects. And hey, if your deck normally wins at turn eight or nine, maybe it can win at turn six or seven at this point because I'm going to give you more resources than you're ready for. Maybe not. But the point is because I'm establishing what do, how do, when how, and when when, the group hug effect of it, it's I'm going to give a whole lot of mana to myself because I'm going to give a whole lot of mana to everybody. I'm going to give a whole lot of cards to myself because I'm going to give a whole lot of cards to everybody. That conversation piece means that everybody gets to evaluate what you're doing and what they're doing in the same way. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's uh, just as a, a nice rubric for setting expectations. I think that's pretty much what you're looking for. And I, I think that if I were at a table just meeting you and, and seeing your Silvala deck for the first time and uh, I saw it and I'm like, oh, that must be a fun group hug deck. And you're telling me, okay, well, I'm going to pillow for it until turn six where I win. I'm going to be like, oh, so this this is not where I bring out my silly fun time deck. This is where I bring out my deck that can compete with a turn six win. Right. Yeah. It, it, I would not have expected that. And I probably would have been a little bit ticked off because as a group hug deck, I would have thought that it would win a little bit slower. But stigmas, that, now right? Exactly. And that's why we got to have those conversations where group hug doesn't mean all it does is this. And we know that. You and I know that. We've yes. Done, we've done this for a long time. But it is a, hey, this is how I'm going to do all of the things that you would normally want to do. It's just I'm going to help everybody at the same time. Um, so that's it's really important. Rule zero is always important. If you are playing group hug, there are going to be people that are really, really negative the second you say group hug. Yes. And you need to have the rule zero conversation so they are aware. There We're are going to people... Talk about that. Yeah, there are going to be people that are going to be really excited because you say group hug. But if you've got a really strong group hug deck, hey, you should probably let them know. No, 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 no. Don't play your pre-con that you just got out if I'm playing this. I'll play something different. I'll tone down. But don't. Right. don't <laughs> we got to all be no, on the I'm same, the same way. I've, I have many group hug decks and they've run the gamut. I have very yep. weak group hug decks and I have very powerful group hug decks. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm aware. Uh, Emrakul is, 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 is up there. That thing goes quick. Uh, speaking of going quick and uh, getting the game started in some ways, Alex, what is our next item here? Absolutely. I think that after the World Zero conversation, the best way to ingratiate yourself, which we'll get into a little bit more, to establish the tone of the game is to get the game going with a bang. Mike, we're going to start mm -hmm. with, as we were talking about with that pact of victory in our hand, ideally our opening hand has a low-cost group hug piece, maybe even turn one or turn two, yeah. that is able to get some of that high-value resource right out of the gate, get people's decks on track ASAP. And we talked about it, and we basically talk about it every episode. The prime example of that kind of card is Veteran Explorer, because yep. you're going to get it out turn one, assuming you have a green mana source, and then assuming anybody else has anything to block it with, Turn two, everybody's ramping up two turns, which I call that a bang, Mike. That means mm -hmm. that whatever your deck's plan was, rather than slowly working towards it with that kind of slow, eh, kind of somewhat boring beginning of the game, now we're going to get straight into mid-game. Everybody's going to get their decks online. They're going to get their commanders out. And as you said at the start, maybe they get to do what their deck wants to do. And that's usually how people are going to have the best time. Yeah, it's that... It's that um... 
uh, conveyor belt in the airport. It's, hey, we're all walking, we're all walking. By the way, now we're walking on this Zoom, right? And being able to do that, ideally we get to do it quickly. Right, because it, it, we're playing group hug. We, right. we want people, people to out turn six. I mean, it's great, but yeah, their yeah, deck I, is either already online or they lost. I'd rather them be at turn six on turn two. You know, <laughs> maybe that's a little <laughs> we aggressive, could make that happen but for we you. can make that happen. That's no, the we point. Can make it happen. Uh, and I, I like that. It, it's it is good to be, and it goes back to what you were saying as far as having having the right path in your starting hand. We're going to start from here. And that means turn one, turn two, maybe turn three, kind of depending on what you're going for, depending on the setup, depending on mm-hmm. the pod you're in. All right, let's start getting some of these effects out. Let's start we getting these things to, out and plan. a good group hug episode and specifically talking about zero, one, and maybe two drop group hug pieces that you can yeah. put out on the first turn. Oh, I'd, I'd be absolutely down to do a you know, right, favorite know group hug cards by cost. If you want to, if you want to have us do an episode about what our favorite group hug turn one plays are, yeah, I don't know what better explore top of the list. But I was going to say, I don't know what's going to be number, uh, you know, the one cost one. But I, I guess we'll figure it out. Number two, but I know it will be number one. <laughs> uh, so, so that's that's kind of the start. That's the build of the game. That's the start of the game. That's the rule zero of the game. Now we talk about you know the in between, the dialogue, right? And uh, from our Discord. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on verbal politics when piloting group hug. How often you feel it necessary to pull uh, politically aggro at everyone besides you? I think it's a common perception of group hug players uh, is or it's a common perception of group hug players is that the player always acts like they're not the problem and they get salty when they treat them like they are. Personally, I feel like hug effects do the politicking for you, but I was curious about how much verbal side you guys incorporate and the shape that takes slash deals and threat direction, etc. So you kind of, we're going to get into the, the hypothetical that you put into this because I really like it. It's, it's, it's two sides of the same coin here. But to dial all of that in, it's, hey, how much politicking are you doing to try and push away uh, threat assessment from you and you know how do you combat kind of or how do you see uh, the common perception of group hug players is that they're always acting like they're not the problem uh, let's let's address that first if I am playing a group hug deck and I am the problem I am aware that I am the problem and I let everybody know it <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's hey I am generating a lot of resources for everybody absolutely or I'm generating a lot of resources for a couple of people but I am definitely generating a lot of resources for myself. If I have a really, really cluttered board and I am in charge and I'm dictating a lot of things that's going on with the board state, threat assessment, it gets into its own conversation. The biggest threat to the table is what is perceived as the biggest threat to the table. I'm not going to hide anything. If somebody is about to blow something up, and they're going to blow up something of mine. If there is something that I see is a bigger problem, you know, oh, I've, I've got my go back to it. Heartbeat of spring out there. I'm doubling everybody's mana. But this other player has a bolus of Citadel. And they're going to blow up my heartbeat of spring. I am going to ask, hey, are we not sure that that's a bigger threat? But the point is, the concept is, is that, yeah, they're kind of right here. The, the hug effects kind of do the politicking for you. Uh, if you have a whole lot of things on board that are helping a whole lot of people and then somebody blows up some of those effects, that doesn't make one person mad, potentially. It usually makes three people mad. I don't have to politic at all. 
I go, okay, no more fast mana. And that's it. That's all I have to say. And suddenly my stuff isn't getting blown up as much because I didn't blow up the thing that made everybody go happy, fast, fun time. Yeah, Mike, this is a really big question. And and it's an important one. At the beginning, they ask, ask about uh, how often do you feel it's necessary to politic aggroate everyone besides you? Um, mm-hmm. I think that's that's a mistake that people in our field can can make right we love right. having these political discussions we love having the yep. ability to influence people's actions to make people make choices conniving manipulating having a great time we we love all of it it's great. i to touch on that real quick i literally just watched a game nights episode right before we started recording and it, it, I think it's one of those things where people think that's part of it. It's pointing at the other players. It's doing this. It's, well, no, 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 no. Let's make a deal. And, and, and it's 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 not that it's played up, but it's a, well, why are you attacking this? You should attack that. That's the bigger threat. And a lot of that is because it has to be performative. It's, it's, it's entertainment, right? But sometimes it's, I, as far as how much do I need to politically aggro at everyone else, I don't. I don't, I don't feel the need for it because normally... The collective table is going to decide what a threat is unless the person who's deciding what the threat is owns that threat, right? Absolutely. Um, I actually wanted to go into a little bit of a different direction. I wanted to go into this direction of making this idea of piloting a group hug deck and, you know, not aggregating politics too much and and sort of getting people to your side. I liken this to a sales pitch and not in the way that, okay. you know, the greasy used car salesman is, is trying to sell you a car, uh, but the fundamentals of a sales pitch. And, and obviously I'm not a professor on the subject, but there are a couple that, that really hit home. And there's the, there's identifying a problem, right? As part of your mm-hmm. sales pitch, you are by definition trying to solve somebody's problem because you're trying to get them to take or buy or use something that they wouldn't otherwise be doing, which means you need to be solving a problem that they have. And if you're inventing a problem or just kind of trying to ply people without any pretense, you may find that your group hug techniques don't really work very well. Um, People are able to to resist in a word when, I mean, when the question is, you know, you play a card and everyone's like, okay, well, who wants uh, who wants this? Who wants this? You may find that if you're asking the table who wants this and who wants this, you may just not get any answers. You may not get any bites. Uh, the table may even start mm-hmm. to sort of start to turn against you. It solving that problem is is a big issue, but even underlying that is the issue of establishing rapport i think that anybody who has ever been in sales fundamentally appreciates this that making a short-term relationship or even a long-term relationship but in this case we're talking about the short term making any kind of short-term relationship with anyone of any kind it needs to start with establishing rapport and this is kind of one of those intangibles right it's very difficult Mm -hmm. to impossible to teach somebody to have charisma and be conversational and be social and i know those can be challenges for a lot of magic players um 
But I also think that this game is a good opportunity to try to start to hone those skills. And and those can even really be used in real life. Establishing rapport is an important part of real life, Mike. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about sales. That's my job. That, yes. That's what Sorry, I do. I don't mean to, don't mean to tell no, you. No, no. But maybe and, you have and, something to add here. Well, and here's the thing. Uh you are you are absolutely right direction hitting everything on all fronts as far as the sales. Here is the two things that I will add. Uh, actual actual sales versus magic, and we'll try and put it into magic here. Um, people only buy something for one of two reasons. To gain a benefit or to avoid a loss. Mm-hmm. People will only cast spells to gain a benefit or avoid a loss. Um, Here's the other thing. Building a rapport is absolutely important. And sometimes people think that building uh, building a rapport means that you're everybody's friend. That's not the case. Building a rapport is important. But it is much more important that people trust me than people like me. And I still feel that at the table. If people trust me, what we do at the table, they know... I'm going to do this. This is what my deck does. That's what they can expect. And there will be some surprises, but they know that they can trust me, right? Uh, if it, it, we're going to talk about a couple of these, you know, uh, wedding ring type effects where me and somebody else, all right, great. Who wants this? If somebody doesn't like what I'm doing, but they trust me, that's going to make at least somebody at that table more times than not want to work with me. Because, well, they know the benefit is coming, so why not be the person that gets the advantage? Well, Mike, how does, how does one establish that reputation of trust and integrity? How do you even go about that? I, two different ways, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, one, say what you're going to do, then do it. it. Trust is just as and much as... while you're doing it, say what you're doing. Yes, announce it, follow through. I don't like winning via dagger in the back. Mm-hmm. I don't like winning by flashing out a revel and riches at the end step from the player before me when I've got a bunch of treasure. It's things along those lines. I like to be open about how I am planning on winning the game or where I find things as a threat. And here's the thing. In doing that, you are also going to do active politicking without being aggressive about it. Just if you see something at the table and it gives you a reaction... Voice that reaction. Be pleasant about it. But, you know, if somebody puts out a Turgrid, everybody should know that's a dangerous thing. Exactly. <laughs> it's your, okay your for you to say so. The politics are like, wow, a Turgrid, those are really strong. Yes, exactly. So the way that the way that you build rapport, the way that you build trust, is simply by doing all of the things that you say you're going to do. It's by announcing your plays, it's by letting people know. It's frankly if somebody is playing something to try and do uh, removal, uh, say it is uh, not an O-ring effect, but it's something where we're getting rid of a couple of different things. It's a grasp of fate. It's a something along those lines where, oh, we're going to get rid of a couple of things. When it's your turn to, hey, we're going to get rid of something here. If they don't know, this is probably the biggest, this is probably the biggest threat that I've got on the board. Offer. And be real about it. Absolutely. We've talked about this in the past, and my radical advice, which has now in turn become uh, Mike radical advice, tattle on yourself, right? You need to make the table mm-hmm. aware of what you're doing when you have an enormous threat. As Mike just said, when there's a grasp of fate effect on the table, you need to make the person casting it aware like, hey, 
this is the most synergistic piece on my board. And if you take it out, I'm in real trouble. And I understand that for a lot of people, that's a very scary prospect, right? People hope that they can sort of, you know, sneak under the radar. Hopefully right. they won't take your best thing. Maybe you can lie to them and they'll take the wrong thing. And that's a win for you. I don't recommend that you play that way, Mike. Hey, here's the thing. You can absolutely play that way. And you can get a lot of victories that way. Mm -hmm. But you will also potentially lose a few games that you shouldn't have. Because even if you're not in a position to win, or even if you could be in a position to win, as long as things go the right way, you have potentially ruined people's trust in the fact that you are going to do what you say you're going to do. That reputation is important. It is. Well, Mike, there is a, a bit of a ancillary bit to that. And, and this is something that some players may experience quite a bit more than others. I think that if you tend to be a traveling player, or maybe you play at many different LGSs, maybe you play online, so you're always getting somebody different. And there's another issue with online we'll talk about. But sometimes this happens to people. They don't play ball with your group hub deck. And I'm mm -hmm. not talking about the kind of player who says, that's a group hub player, kill them on site. Listen, <laughs> you were never, I mean, you've already lost that battle. I think that if you're in a pod and you're having the rule zero conversation and you say, this is a group hub deck, this is what it does, this one it wins. And somebody says, I'm going to kill you first, no matter what your deck does, because it's group hub. I think that either you change decks or you leave the pot at that point. I'm not really yeah. talking about those situations. Real quick on that, um, we're, we're going to talk about it a little bit later. That's that that doesn't make sense to me. That's not ideal, but that's okay. It happens a lot. It's and but that's so. Here's the thing. I if somebody says, "Oh, this is my stacks deck," my brain immediately goes, "Uh." And here's the thing: what are they doing differently than what I am? They're playing a specific type that is the thing that they would like to play. It's just the same thing in reverse. Exactly. So it, here's the thing. If you are playing against somebody uh, or a pod that is vehemently against a group hug deck, hey, you have other decks. Switch yeah, out. Play Borrow somebody else. If, if the pod has completely shut you out and turned against you and there is no root in, don't play the group hug deck because it won't work. We're not forcing the issue. Right. We are trying to give the opportunity for other people to embrace the issue. Right. So how do we how do we do that? Um, again, we're not talking about the situation where they just completely shut you out and, and kill you first. We're talking about mm -hmm. they'll allow you to play the group hug deck, but nobody's paying in. Nobody's taking advantage or accepting the resources or gifts. Nobody's taking any of the deals that you want to make. Right. And they're, they're just overall not really joining in the fun and camaraderie that you know that your deck can generate at the pod. So that's a little bit more of a subtle issue, Mike. And, mm -hmm. and I would recommend, if you're having that problem, I think this is very similar to some other problems um, of, of just problem types of decks. You may find that maybe you have a deck that is on the complete opposite end of the scale, where that deck is very mean and mm -hmm. not necessarily super efficient but maybe it's a stacks deck maybe it's a group slug deck maybe it's a land destruction deck you know there are several archetypes that are against the social contract but you can still very much build them and i think that problem is analogous to the group hug problem where 
people aren't going to say, oh, well, you're not allowed to play that deck, but they're not really going to engage with you at all. How do we overcome this hurdle without simply giving up, going to another potter or playing another deck? Right. My personal recommendation, and I've talked about this briefly in a previous episode, is when you know that you're going to be playing the last game of the night before the store closes or before everybody goes home or before you pack it up for the day, whatever it may be, when it's the last game of the night, just say, hey guys, do we want to try maybe something different for the last game? Maybe we want to try playing a different variant of EDH or Two-Headed Giant. Maybe we want to all get out our CEDH decks that we have. Or maybe we get all our 9 and 10 decks that we have. Or maybe we all get out our silliest and wackiest decks. This guy has a pre-con. This guy's lady's looking left. She has a group hug deck. Let's all play our weird decks. <laughs> and when you enter into that final game with that sort of levity, with that reduced weight of expectation, like oh, everybody's doing their silly stuff now, and you actually just get into the game with that different mindset because they know that this is not going to be their whole night, they're not committed to this, and this is not a big deal, you may find that introducing your problem deck or your group hug deck in that way could sort of <laughs> inoculate your group into accepting it into the main rotation. Yeah. And this isn't to say, like, you know, the people that aren't playing ball because I play Tempt with Discovery and nobody decides to take the deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, that'll it, happen. Yeah. That'll happen. That's I'm that's completely understandable. Just completely do not engage with you at all. Right. It's they a, okay. never take the tempt. They never yeah. accept the mana. Exactly. And that's here's the thing. That's fine. If that's the way that it's going to be played, that's going to be the way that it's played. But you can try to change their view. You can. Not with force, and, but with, you know, a, a, a final game of the evening, Mike. Uh, honey not vinegar etc uh the other part of it too frankly if you've got a, this is this is a absolute worst case scenario mm -hmm. if you're in a pod you're playing group hug and you're not able to make your deals you're not able to make your you know your group effects or your group effects but you're not able to get value off of making deals with one person or picking somebody uh for the single target help etc it sounds silly just just target the person who's in second place <laughs> if you're if you're in first place, target the person who's in third place. If you're less than that, target the person who's second second place. So whoever is in the lead has somebody else that is being brought up to try and be at their level, and then hope that they duke it out. It it sounds silly. It sounds very. It your worst case scenario. Just target whoever's not the person in the lead, but close. And then at the very least, you're going to have some different tiers of power struggle going on which means it's easier for everybody else who's not at that tier to still continue the game and still enjoy the game. Uh, kind of a quick little aside, but that's part of it, right? Um, in fact, what's our what's our next tenet as far as, you know, talking about the narrative and trying to change it? Yes. What, what would you suggest here? So if we imagine that sort of aside we just had about people not playing ball as, as that being a tangent, and we go back a step to... Uh, you know, verbal politics, aggressive aggroing, and and uh, that sort of sales analogy that we were talking about earlier. This point leads more into that. Um, and that's what Mike was just saying. Weave a narrative of the game at hand. And I'm not saying, you know, spin doctor. I'm not saying ink throwing or anything like that. But just the facts, right? Who is ahead in the game? Who's behind? Who's threatening? Who's oppressive? What do you have that's scary? What does somebody else have that's scary? 
be honest and forthcoming, not manipulative. And that's going Very to establish good. that sense of integrity and that reputation that even though you're doing something, group hug, or a different strategy that the people may not fully agree with or like playing mm-hmm. against, at least they trust you. At least they believe your word. They take you at your word when you say, this is my most powerful thing. When you say, I'm going to win in two turns unless you remove these two permanents. That kind of, as I said before, tattling on yourself, being forthcoming, this help, it's going to help you a lot. But even more so than that is weaving this narrative. And Mike talked about this earlier. A narrative can be very simple. Threat assessment is part of a narrative, and that can be very simple. Simply mm-hmm. having a reaction to something that gets played, something cool happens. Somebody has this blowout battle cruiser play, X is equal to 20. Have a reaction to it. You, whatever reaction you have to that, whoa, that was awesome. Oh, no, I'm so scared. Uh, that guy's the threat now. Whatever reaction right. you have, that is part of the narrative. Everyone's reactions are part of the narrative. And you can use that information and that emotional energy to start to have a conversation at the table. Like, wow, that's scary. But you know what else is scary is what that has over there. Like, that's that's right. also a huge problem. Right. And, and I, I'm with you every step of the way with one caveat. Yeah. There is the the big scary word. And of course, this is coming from the sales guy. So take it with a grain of salt. The big scary word that you put in there, you know, be, be honest, be forthcoming, not manipulative. Yes. Manipulation is I'm trying to, I'm not trying to deceive anybody. I'm not trying to misdirect. I'm trying to convince them to my method of thinking. I want us to be all on the same page. I am willing to be uh, convinced otherwise. But my goal, I do want to manipulate the thinking. I want us to kind of be on the same track, on the same board, at the same table. This is what's going on. This is what I'm doing. Oh, yeah, this is scary. That's scary, too, though. You know what I mean? Like, Sure. It's, it's, it's the, you know, semantics. You're right. Manipulation is yeah. not necessarily a negative uh, word. You're, it, it can you, be. You could it's say, like consequences, you could right? Say conniving, it's you good could or say, bad. Uh, you know, self-interested behavior. There you go. You, whatever, ulterior motives, whatever you want to do. Yeah, um, there you go. No, don't have ulterior motives. I, well, I like that is, a lot. Ulterior motives has that connotation of being negative, but it actually isn't. An ulterior motive is just an unspoken motive. Unless. It doesn't have to be a good or a bad motive. Unless you're being honest and forthcoming with what your motives are. Then you won't even have an ulterior motive. Exactly. Because and that's whatever motive you have will be right on the table. There you go. Uh, we like that. I like that. That's that's a really good tenet both in, in life as well as specifically our game. It's weird how the social contract where it's a it's a podcast about uh, trying to enjoy the actual game itself with the people <laughs> is is more about like, hey, this applies to everything. You know, I've heard uh, I've heard anecdotes of, you know, people bad mouthing people and and something that you may have heard in your life that I've heard in my life is a. Uh, a negative anecdote about someone and, and they'll say, oh, he went into every conversation with an objective and you could always mm-hmm. tell what it was. In real life, I think that that definitely is off-putting to people. I think sure. you, a lot of the tricks that we talk about for this game, those aren't going to translate to real life. But yeah, I think that oh, for sure. having an objective, having that motive in the game, 
I think is perfectly reasonable. And in fact, that's where you should be honing that skill. Not in real life. In real life, right. that's just that's very fair. sleazy. <laughs> Here's the thing. In the game, it actually it actually applies because everybody has the same objective. Exactly. Or at least they should have the same objective. Right. They want to win the so game. The more integrity you have, the more forthcoming you are, the more you're putting it all out there, the more you have the power to wield this narrative. And that was my tenet. Right. And that, and it's a great one. And here's the thing. I'm, I'm kind of piggybacking off of that one. Um, so group hug, you know, weaving the narrative slash being aware of the narrative. You're not necess- necessarily trying to, you're not trying to edit the story so much as be aware of it. And what would be really cool if it happened next? Right. And that means that a group hug itself, it's a lot of overall effects for the table. But sometimes a group hug includes individual handshakes. You don't want to make every single card and plan in your deck based off of giving everyone everything. Sometimes you need to lift somebody up in particular. Sometimes you need to make an ally. Sometimes you need to work with the desperate. Sometimes you're the desperate one. So being in a situation where you can make deals, you can apply some effects, you can apply a one-to-one help as you need to. And it's not just necessarily to uh, help the person who's in last place. We want to do that because we want everybody to have an opportunity. But if you make everything about building everybody all the time, the other thing that you end up losing is control of that narrative without just destroying your own pieces, without getting rid of things on the board. And then what are you doing? Right. So the ability to see what's going on with that narrative and then reach out and say, hey, I would like to draw some cards. Would somebody like to draw some cards with me? And this that's that's great advice. I love this. This can get a little bit in the weeds here. And I understand that, you know, a lot of piloting is this sort of social interaction, Mm -hmm. but this can get a little bit hazy. So to bring what Mike is saying down to earth, you wouldn't just want to run all board wipes in your interaction yeah. package that's no. a great tool board wipes are great <laughs> it'll get you, rid of it all <laughs> if you only have board wipes and no spot removal now you're giving up control of how you're influencing the board and just like that with what mike was saying about individual helping pieces versus full altruistic group hug pieces that help everyone at the table you need a mixture the card that comes to my mind when i'm talking about this is wishclaw talisman it, Love it. It's such a cool card. It's such a cool concept. It's the a cheap paw. artifact. Yeah, the monkey's paw. It's a, it's um, sorcery speed. Activate it. Tutor a card. Give it to somebody else. And I get love three charges of it. to other people. That's such a powerful yep. effect. And and being able to do that and sitting there and saying, okay, I've played this card. Who would like to tutor for something? And just asking. And if nobody wants to play ball, okay, that's fine. If somebody would, I feel inclined. Okay, what are you looking for? Right? It's gathering more information. It's making a deal. It's If somebody says, oh, I'm not going to tell you, it makes it more likely that somebody else is going to say, well, if you give it to me, I'm going to look for a land. If you give it to me, I'm going to look for a spot removal to get rid of that. You know, And even just getting that conversation started, if nothing comes out of it, the idea of having that conversation piece means that you are putting your hand out there to try and make a deal and other people are at least conversing and that's going to be more fun towards the end. It's it's not a tightrope walk that we're, we're on here as far as the social interaction and the giving of pieces and piloting a group hug a deck can be complicated, 
but it doesn't need to be that complicated if, if you just you're just honest with what you do and you ask people what they're gonna do mike had a uh, a really salient point that i remember uh from from some time ago we were playing in a game together and he played i don't know something one of us had played to the effect of uh you know benevolence uh uh, benefactor or, or some other group tutor effect that yeah, yeah. went directly to hand and did not require revealing because it had no uh, restrictions on it. So you didn't have to meet any requirements. Mm-hmm. But Mike did something that is so simple that I had never really thought of it. He said what he tutored for, and then he asked each person as they got their card what they tutored for. Well, if he hadn't asked that, they wouldn't have told me they don't have to. According to the rules, they can completely yep. keep that secret. But the mere fact that he asked makes it infinitely more likely that they would tell you what they got because now it becomes suspicious if they don't show you, well, what did they get? It could be anything now. But if they show you, oh, this is just the piece that I needed for my combo. This is the mana rock I needed. This is my land drop I missed. This is the piece to get my commander. As long as you know what it is, it's not as scary as the unknown. And and just such a simple change, not in what kind of cards you run, not in what the rules of the game are, but just right. how you use a card and how you transfer that into conversation, um, I think plays really well into what you were just talking about, Mike. Well, speaking of, you know, just having that conversation, uh, what's your next one? Because... Hey, we're yeah. we we're not planning on the transitions, but it's going pretty well I mean, so it, far. It, yeah, we're, we're doing it. <laughs> so this this concept of the narrative at the table, this is something that's very important, and and my next tenant feeds into that. Uh, I have be friendly and non threatening, right? Yeah. We talk about all these goals. We talk about manipulation. We talk about this balancing. We, there's there's so many different things at play when we're piloting a group hug deck. That's what this episode is about. But never lose sight of the big picture that we talked about at the beginning. Group hug decks are about having fun. So mm-hmm. if your deck is not being friendly and non-threatening, especially during the time of the game where it needs to be that, which is, yeah. uh, we'll talk about this a bit later, in the early and mid game, it's very mm-hmm. important to, I won't say facade, but keep up the facade of, of a group hug deck. You don't have to <clears throat> you don't have to act like you're going for the win when you're not going for the win yet. Everybody knows right. you're going to go for the win eventually, but we're not there yet. So, uh, they should know if you had a good rule zero, they should know that right, you're gonna absolutely. go. For They'll it. know. But in that moment, they don't need to be thinking about you taking every possible chance you have to win because that's not happening yet. So be friendly and non-threatening, pacify and deflect. What does this actually entail? This is sort of the long tail of the game. We passed early game. We're now into mid game, approaching late game. Accumulate resources, fortify your board state, play to your interests and avoid negative press, right? This Mm -hmm. narrative that we're talking about feeds directly into this point with being honest about what you're doing. As you accumulate your board state, yeah, you need to be saying what you're doing, but you don't necessarily need to be saying like, uh-oh, guys, now I have 30 tokens. You can just say, I generate two additional tokens, um, and and I put this permit on the battlefield. This is what it does. And 
you know, if, if you if as long as you're not going for the win in that next turn or couple of turns, as long as you're telling people what you're doing, you don't need to be making yourself out to be the bad guy, right? We we definitely want to be honest. We definitely want to be forthcoming. But we don't have to portray ourselves in an unfavorable light either. We can mm-hmm. make ourselves seem friendly because we are. That's just the lighting that we're shining on ourselves, right? It's not time for that harsh lighting. Right now we're doing the soft lighting. That's that's just part of what I'm what I'm trying to say, Mike. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's here's the thing. You could absolutely play a group hug deck and do it with the intent of ruining people and being oppressive and all these other things. But if you're doing that, there's there's other ways, right? You're you're trying Group to. It's probably not the most efficient way to do that strategy. Yeah, yeah, it, right. It, it's it's probably not. It, it's it's, it's probably strategy. less efficient it because could. now people like you even less because maybe you yeah. trick them. <laughs> exactly, and that's the point. You're when you are giving the entire table more available resources, and then somebody becomes a problem. The thing that you need to be able to deflect is not, I help them win the game. You are helping everybody get to their end goal more efficiently and with more resources than they otherwise would have had. So I'm not trying to pass the buck here by any means, but if I'm playing a group hug deck and then somebody else combos off earlier than they would have normally... It's my fault for giving them resources, but it's just as much my fault for giving them resources as it is my fault for not having ways to stop them from doing what they were trying to do. As much as it is for the other players not having the resources or the way to stop them from doing what they do. So it's not a blame thing. When we're talking about pacifying, it's, hey, everybody hears your stuff. Let's have some fun. Mike has spoken about this and, and we've spoken about this. If you... If you have a piece that's helping out the table and somebody else removes it, the uh, the hatred is really not going to be uh, localized toward you. Other people are going to be seeing like, hey, that was that was free mana mm-hmm. that I was getting. That was free card draw I was getting and you just removed it. That's part of that pacifying and, and deflecting without you even really having to do anything. But further to Mike's point where <laughs> we've accidentally created a monster, or maybe on purpose <laughs> we've created a monster... Uh, king making as it were your deck needs to have the tools and you may not have them in hand but you need to have the ability to pull the leash because those are the same tools that allow you to control mm-hmm. the board and the rest of the game and and go for the win i have spoken on air about my Emberkel deck and and i think this is a good example of it she is such a powerful tool giving an extra turn to another player that's a very very powerful effect um, it, in, in fact, it can be so powerful that it can take a player who was in fourth place yep. and put them in first place with one single effect resolving. Now, I'm not trying to make that happen, but I'm aware that because the the fire I'm playing with <laughs> is so hot, yeah. that could happen. And because of that, I have tools in my deck, and sometimes, indeed, it can be the same tool that can be used to bring down somebody whom I've lifted up a little bit too much. And maybe it's not me who lifted them up too much. Maybe I just gave them the same benefit I gave to everybody. And then, like Mike said, they popped off. 
we need to have a way to bring them back down to earth so that we don't get uh, any anything deflected at us. This yes, this is our doing, but we can also control. Right, and this this actually goes into literally our next two points. Uh, group hug is about balancing the scales just as much as it is about tipping them. Uh, so you're going to give enough resources to be that rising tide that can lift all boats or individual players. But that means that you can put somebody out to a big lead. It's up to you and the rest of the table to take these extra resources that you have to bring people down just as much as it is about you bringing everyone up. If you are soliciting the idea of everybody is going to pop off and everybody is going to have the opportunity to do stuff. And you succeed. You need to facilitate for people to pop off and do stuff. It is yes. it is not a group hug deck ran the way you want to run it. If I have done the group hug thing on turns one and two, oh no, combo player went off on turn three. You got to have ways to temper expectations as well as move right. forward. And sometimes that means, hey, I'm going to do individual hugs and deals. Sometimes that's giving everybody everything and relying on them as well. Hey, uh, I, I'm going to give you extra man and extra card draw. If you have a counter, if you know, if you have the ability to get a counter spell, you better hold on to it for somebody to do something pretty crazy because you're right. all sometimes getting the same benefit here. Withdrawing support and yep. sometimes that's using resources to tear someone down. And sometimes that's warning people at the table like, hey, listen, we've all been having a great time. Mm -hmm. Some of us have been having more of a great time than others. Uh, we're going to need to start directing these resources toward dealing with that imminent win yeah. that is about to happen. Uh, and in fact, as part of that, uh, Alex, what's, what's your next point here? Because they tie really well together to what we've been Absolutely. discussing. Uh, so as we move into the end game, we need to identify when it's time to pull the rug. What do I mean when I say it's time to pull the rug, right? Because this is not a, an issue of deception. Like, aha, my group hug deck is actually a deck that can win the game. Because we've already established that at the beginning of the game. Before the game even started, we established that our deck will try to win. And it will try to win around this turn. Yep. So there's no question. No one's surprised. Nobody should be surprised that your deck is going to sort of withdraw support and move into attack mode. Mm -hmm. Go for the go for the win. However, your deck does that. That should not be shocking anybody. But they weren't necessarily thinking about when that was specifically going to happen for the entire game. The game's probably been going on for around an hour or more at the point that uh, many of my decks are going for the win. At, at the pace that many of the pots that I've played in have gone. So when is it time to go for that win? Whenever that is, it needs to be part of the narrative. It can't just be, yo, now I am the bad guy and we'll go for the win. Right. It needs to be, okay, now it's, this person has, you know, they've gone for the win and we just barely stopped them. Maybe when you go heads up, when you're 1v1, things will change very dramatically at that point, right? When you go 1v1, if you're the last two people left alive, and honestly, as a group hug deck, that's one of the most common scenarios I'll find myself in in the endgame, mm -hmm. especially with my more pillow 40 decks. I think Mike can speak to that. Um, 
you have a pretty good ability to keep yourself in the game until the end. But it needs to be part of the narrative if indeed you are still politicking and it's not a 1v1 game. You need to be said, listen, this game needs to close out. We are now on turn 10. Everybody's board is completely developed. I can see that multiple people are about to make a win. So now, if you've built your deck correctly, perhaps you've built it in such a way that what you've been doing is now bad. It you've you've almost flipped the script. Your hugs become constrictions, your gifts become curses, and you'll make a go for that win. However, your deck does that. Alpha strike, infinite combo, however you end up doing it. Not all decks work in that sort of flip the script way. But there are some very famous win cons that do play that way. Insurrection mm-hmm. and Mob Mentality are some of those. Yep. Um, there are some cards that give you a ton of resources if everybody else has a ton of resources, like Clone Legion. Things that reward you for everybody else being well-fed are particularly well-suited to that sort of flipping role. But again, not every deck has to play that way. And sometimes... The only thing that's flipping is now that you have an extremely established board state, you've built up your pillow fort, mm-hmm. you have permanents on board, you have counter magic in hand, whatever you need to go for the win, you are ready to do it. Make that event known. Like, listen, I am in position for the win. Within one turn, I will attempt to win. I'm going to do it with this strategy. And as we were talking about the tattling on yourself, Mike, what do you think? I, I, I'm absolutely all in on it. Um, I, I, I don't. There have been times where I've cast approach of the second sun from my hand and then had the ability to draw the cards to get approach of the second sun back into my hand in the same turn. And that doesn't feel fun to me. You know, it's not what I'm trying to do in that specific scenario. So that's that's definitely going to catch people out. Yeah. And here's the thing. It's all right. Well, good job. Here's the thing. You got approach of the second sun twice. I don't want to win accidentally. And, and that's kind of that's kind of the goal here. Like, I don't want to win accidentally by my own lack of what I'm doing. Right? You want your win to be foreshadowed. I want it to be fun, but not too foreshadowed. Yeah, I, I I would. My favorite game is every player is gonna win on their next turn if they get to untap with the state that they have. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a really interesting place to be in, right? Because now all bets are off. Politics becomes a completely different yep. game. Everybody is about to go for the win, so now it's a question of who and how. Can I sneak it <laughs> yeah. out? Can I? Who has the I answer? Mean, deals almost become impossible. Exactly, and that's fine. You, you're you're group hugging, but that doesn't mean that the hug is lasting the entire time because at some point somebody's got to win. Exactly, the hug can end. I have a I have a nin deck right, and in my nin deck, I will use her ability to give people a bunch of cards. Uh, as I destroy their creatures or, or just damage them. But then when it's time to flip the script, I have some effects that mm-hmm. care about when I target permanents, and then those permanents are sacrificed, or they become mine permanently, or some other effect happens. You can use what your deck is already doing and have those mean cards that would definitely be in the right. deck if it weren't a group of deck, and yeah. just save those for them. I mean, if that's the case, that's the case. All right, so let's go into the actual winning of the game, the end of the game. And one of the things that is a stigma against group hug, but it's also a stigma against all commander, uh, kingmaking itself. 
Um, so from the actual, uh, from our Discord, uh, how do you avoid excessive king making in group hug games? I find stuff like secret, ra- secret rendezvous can be great at helping someone with a bad start get back into the game while making an ally in the process. But I worry that a lot of group hug effects are too universal and will push a player in the lead even further ahead. For example, if everyone gets to draw more cards, but one person lucked into a turn one soul ring into an arcane signet, they're going to be able to do a lot more with the extra cards. It's a pretty good example. Uh, here's kind of my counter. There is a... So, <laughs> there is a concept called relative wealth. So if I am somebody that has a total of $100 to my name and then somebody gives me $1,000, that is life-changing. If I'm somebody with a million dollars to my name and somebody gives me $1,000, hey, thanks. But it's not life-changing, right? It's relative. If somebody is in a really big lead, if somebody has a lot of stuff and then you are giving them more to do, They're giving them more resources. The concept of hopefully bringing other people up at the same time is going to help. If I'm giving people three extra cards a turn, collectively, each player is getting three cards on their draw step as opposed to one. And one player is in the lead. Normally, that player would have three extra cards a turn versus our nine cards a turn that we're going to try and do to take them down some. It's not about being group hug and you're putting somebody too far ahead you are again trying to bring everybody to about the same level your goal i think i think the real thing with group hug you want everybody to have a good time but your goal is to keep everybody around the same kind of platform or at least in check within that same platform until okay cool i'm ready to win now that's a really good point, Mike, and, and I like the way that you put that. Although I think you may have ended up conflating two slightly different things. I Probably. love the point about uh, relative wealth because that's really great, right? If you play a veteran explorer and everybody has zero to one land drops, you are perhaps doubling or tripling the number of lands they have. This is yeah. a major change. You are completely turning their game from slow and plotting, maybe their hand was bad, into the game starts. If a player had nine lands on field and you give them two more, yeah, that does help them. There's no question about that. Also that, yeah. Are they really going to even notice? I mean, yes, it's going to help them move from nine to 11, but that is a much smaller proportional percentage than moving from one to three, which is a tripling. But aside from that, you did bring up a separate point, which is also very good, but kind of wove it into that point, where you're talking about when somebody is the arch enemy, it's almost like the other three players become a vanguard against them. And in doing so, these communal effects like secret, not even secret rendezvous, things that benefit the entire table. <laughs> yeah, not secret rendezvous, because that's an individual card that right. only helps one player. I, I it, just I just like the 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 venom in your in your in your tone. Listen, you said we all love Rod secret. Oh, I hate that card. But the but... value isn't high enough personally. That's the only problem I have with it. And somebody is way out ahead, and it's a universal effect. It's symmetric. Everyone is getting the same benefit. That's an equality of opportunity. Yes, everybody is drawing three, but the person who's hellbent is increasing their hand by an infinite size, or you know, triple plus one, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, compared to the person with half their deck in their hand, they draw three. That's not even going to tip the scale. 
Right. So those are some extremely good points, Mike. I just wanted to sort of put a fine point on two slightly different things. Mm-hmm. We're talking about sort of that difference in relative value and then the concept of asymmetric effect can benefit the many against the few as well. So you yeah. actually have two different methods, both working to prevent kingmaking, such that really the only way that you can actually kingmake is if you try and trying with individual, for example, secret rendezvous. You give a secret rendezvous to the arch enemy, why are you doing that? Yeah. Right? Here's There's... here okay. So let's 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 talk about kingmaking as a concept. Sure. Um uh, let try to keep it to two sentences or so. If I yeah. ask you what is kingmaking, what do you call that? What would you define kingmaking as in our game? Well, I think we're we're going to get much more into what the what our definition is, but I think that if you ask the average person or you ask me to tell an average person what kingmaking is, I would say that it is excessively enriching one player above others mm-hmm. uh, beyond the point that would be reasonable. So, uh, which is very broad, right? And I think I think for me, it's tangential but different to that okay king making for me is when i start acting or making plays in a game that are not directed towards me winning that game but ensuring that somebody else does that Mm -hmm. is king making the second that what i do is no longer about me being able to win it is about somebody else being able to win. So, which in some uh, in some niche situations that's acceptable. For example, in the game kingdoms, if you're playing the knight to yep. someone else's king, that's a pretty good idea. You should do that. Well, yeah, and here's the thing: because you win if they win, right? Exactly. For, but that's not how most games. Work. No, and for me, if 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 you're looking at king making as anything outside of that, then literally every card you do or do not play in its own way is king making, because me holding on to a path of exile and not using it against the biggest threat that's at the table at some point. If I get rid of that now, and then later on in the game somebody else is able to go off because that thing that was there is no longer there because I got rid of it. Well, then I helped them. Did I king make them? No. It's king making is specifically if you're choosing no longer to to play in your best interest or like the from hell's heart I stab at the well I'm going to die next turn. So I guess I'm going to do what I can to do some stuff on the way out. And either make this person win the game or give them an opportunity to win the game. That's kind of a broader issue. You might call it the EDH equivalent of angle shooting. When you have an objective that is not parallel to other people's objectives. And I think that's why some people chafe at group hug, especially people who think that group hug is a kind of deck that exists only to giggle and king make and not actually win which is why I find it very important whenever we have a guest or whenever I write or talk to somebody about Group Hug, Group Hug is an archetype like every other, and we play to win. Yep. Our interests are the same. Yep. It we're And I'll, I'll be completely frank about it, and this is something I'm working on. We're defensive about it. We absolutely oh, are. Oh, sure. <laughs> I mean, we, we're... <laughs> I, I think that we enjoy uh, sort of playing up this idea of group of players being an underclass. Yeah. But we're we're just an archetype like every other archetype. Right. And I think that I think that establishing that, removing this idea that group hug is 
really just sort of a mess around and find out not really a deck more like a cruel joke that you play on people at the table i, I think that people see uh decks of our wheelhouse group hug as well as stacks and especially chaos mm-hmm. can come across in this way where people see them as aimless or intentionally malicious or cruel right in in the way that they sort of toy with people and not even go for what everyone else is going for which is victory yeah but it's not true no not at all literally the next tenant that we've got here it's a friendly game but it's a competition like there is a winner and loser in some cases there are draws but those are usually not the case uh there is a competition to it you have to seek advantages and opportunities as opposed to not wanting to play something because it's mean and you're the group hug player or because, well, I'm playing group hug and this person's really far ahead, but I'm the group hug player, so I should just have to, I just have to keep going. No, you seek no. opportunities. You seek advantages. Stab in the ankle. You stab him in the ankle. Hey. And then feed the blood to everyone else at the table. And just do me a favor. When you stab him in the ankle, say, hey, you're really strong right now. I'm going to have Listen, to stab you in the ankle. <laughs> you are way out ahead. I stab at thee. Yeah, that's the point. But I stab at thee within the context of the game. Yeah, and as far as, uh, I mean, I'm just going to go into the last one that we've got here. Um, when we're talking about king making, I I like, to, I, like to, I like to flip it a little bit. I'm not worried about king making. I'm not going to king make. I'm going to run a good kingdom instead. Right, king making is, we've established, you really have to... It, it only it's deliberate. Trying to it's make, deliberate. Right? If it's not deliberate, is it really even kingmaking? Right. We'd argue no. No. So please go on. So I'm going to run a good kingdom instead of planning on kingmaking. My goal is for all the people at the table to have a great time. And that means that I have to, as a group hug player, not only be capable of winning, but aim for it. That has to be the intent. So when you are playing, you are trying to be strategic. You are trying to seek advantages. You are trying to find opportunities. You are making deals. You are elevating your resources. The only difference between what we're doing and literally every other deck would try and do is that I am going to bring more people up with me as I'm doing this than normal. That's it. It's more fun that way. Absolutely. Right. We, I mean, we'll keep hitting that point. Our decks are the same as other people's decks. The way we go about things is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're thinking in a different way. We evaluate value in a different way. We go about establishing our board state and gaining victory in a different way, but we still go for victory. We still have the same goal as every other player. Yeah, it, it's, we want to win, but it, it's literally, it, it's one of the tenets that we we came up with when we first started this 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 project, this this podcast, was we we, we like to win, but we love, we to, love play. to play. If you're running a win conless group hug deck, we disavow you. Uh, yeah, honestly, if you are if you are if you are running a win conless group hug deck, what Discord you should will in, help you. What you should do instead is either convert that group hug deck into a two-headed giant support deck mm. and just and do something like that. That sounds fun, actually. I don't think anyone would even be pissed off because it's two-headed giant. I mean, you're working you're yeah. you're established this but here's, you have yeah. a team of two. I'm establishing this right. is what I'm trying to That's, do for my just team. Just playing into people's expectations. Totally reasonable. Uh, but outside of that, like you're, you're not acceptable. Build your deck. Build your deck the way that you would normally build decks. Hey, if, and and this isn't to say that like if you're not building a deck to win, then your deck stinks. Because some people have decks where it's like, ah, this is my chair deck, and maybe the chair deck wins, maybe it doesn't. But sure. sometimes you Jack want to build a deck because it's chairs. But right, don't do anything. Right. 
Yeah, don't do anything that's going to ruin the possible fun for other players yes. by just elevating without competing. And, other- and I think that a close analogy that people might understand coming from maybe a different style of playing magic is mm-hmm. that scooping in response to damage thing that people yeah, just yeah. chafe at, right? A that's many, that's king making on its own too. Sure. Many people <laughs> are really going to get steamed up if you do something so underhanded as scoop in response to attacks being declared at you to deny somebody uh, whatever attack triggers, lifelink, any kind of benefit that they would get for swinging at you. And then obviously they're swinging. They could have swung at someone else because you're not there anymore. There's a lot right. of problems with doing that. Met Much ink has been spilled on the topic of scooping at instant versus sorcery speed. I think mm. that's a very close analogy to this kind of thing, Mike. Yeah. I it's 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 almost like if you were in second place or something and then one of the other people had to leave because their their ride showed up and, and they tripped you they, on their way out. they decide they decided to rivers rebuke you yeah. on the way out and that, i'm never gonna recover from that I'd, wow, I'd, I'd like to say i'm a better spell? person yep wow oh yeah because it was just me <laughs> it's just me and said well on my way out um i'm gonna bounce mike's board yeah i went but why? I think everyone's like, like, why did you do that? Anyway, it, <laughs> as an anecdote, we talked about this before in a previous episode. If you are leaving the game, you you can do things in the game. You can be like, okay, yep. I'm going to empty out my hand. I'm going to hit you with this. I'm going to blow this up. And I'm going to give you these things. Sure, that's fine. But if you, A literal mic drop, yeah. Right. But if you... <laughs> Figurative. If you are taking that opportunity to look at somebody... Somebody who's not even in first place and just <laughs> kneecap them, I think you're going to lose a lot of friends. I don't think that's an advisable thing to do. Uh, uh, now, you maybe maybe kneecap the player in first place yeah. if the game is not particularly advanced. If it's the end of the game, if it's turn 11 and the uh-huh. game is over and you're going to lose and everyone's like, listen, we don't need this game to go on another 45 minutes. We're done. If that's the atmosphere in the room, when you lose, you don't have to, from hell's heart, stab at the the arch enemy. You can just let them win at that point. If the game is functionally over, you don't have to reset. I, I've got yeah that's my that's my one uh my one caveat to king making. I have absolutely no problem with king making if it's because I'm not going to win and I'd like to get the next the game, game rolling as soon as possible. Right and that's, you're not the only player who thinks that. It's not ideal. But it's fine. To our listeners, because this is a very listener-requested episode, as we discussed at the beginning, did this address what you wanted when you requested make a group hug, how to pilot a group hug duck episode? Were there key issues that we did not address that you would like us to address in a possible follow-up episode or community communication Hit us up. You want specifics? You want us to go off of a couple of different concepts? Uh, you want us to we can, get we can talk. more depth? We can yeah, talk we, about any of these tenants that we talked about. We could make a full episode out of most of them. <laughs> yeah. We, you want us to... Oh, no. Alex, they want us to wax poetic more on, on group hug concepts. Ah! Oh, um, no. But I hey, if they... On and on. If they wanted to do that, Alex... Yes. Uh, how would they find you? How could How could they ask you? Sure. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Lappermedic, L-A-P-P-E-R-M-E-D-I-C. But we don't know 
you know, how long that's going to be around for. Um, yeah. Could be a year, could be a month. We don't know. So you can find me at lapper.gay, L-A-P-P-E-R.gay. That's going to have all of my social links. Uh, that's going to take you to my a uh, couple of articles I did and take you back to this podcast. I don't know why you would need that, but it's there. Um, <laughs> as well as my other products, including the Commander Spellbook, which is the search engine for EDH combos. And uh, as we were talking about in this episode, sometimes the game needs to be over. And when yeah. the game needs to be over, one of the best ways to do that is to pull out an infinite combo. And <laughs> you might be surprised that you might not even have to add in that many or any cards into your deck to get an infinite combo. If you go to my website, commanderspillbook.com, go to find my combos and paste your deck list in, you might discover that you have combos already in your deck that you could be winning the game with or adding one more card in to make that happen, Mike. Yeah, I, I, I've mentioned the Savala deck a couple of times this Does episode. Does that have combos in there? Uh, oh, it, Here's the thing. There's no infinite combos in there, but there are figurative combos right. in there. There's finite like, combos. He values out. Yeah. yeah. When you're, I, when you're got, talking about I, like, I just yeah. put oodles of stuff on the board and uh, this synergizes with this and this and this well, and this. It's, we call it I've got an umbral mantle in there. So okay. it's great. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna tap Silvala. I'm going to generate mana. And then I'm going to use that mana to untap Silvala. Something like that. Or no, uh, no, I forgot what it is. It's, it's, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that it's cool stuff and, and being able to find out what extra cards I could put in there to really confirm the combos to try and win with that deck. Uh, I, I, I need to do it. Frankly, that's a good, that's a good tomorrow. And project. honestly, I mean, this has happened to me. It's happened to people. You go in to find my combos on your deck list in and it's going to say, ooh, if you added this card, you could make a combo and that card is on your maybe board. Out of these seven. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's an automatic <laughs> include now. I was already going to run that. What about people who love our show and they want to be a part of the community? We we have we have a Discord, don't we? We do. Uh, we'll have a Discord link in the show notes there. You can ask all the questions that you'd like to about Alex, about how uh, rules interact as he is a judge. Uh, if you want to talk with other people that, you know, pose some of these questions to us. If you want to talk about deck building, if you want to talk about, you know, uh, tangential stuff, look at spoilers. I don't look at the spoilers because I like to react to them in real time with yeah, Alex I sure here, like the spoilers. Uh, as we as we update. Um, but if you wanted to talk to people that just enjoy the game and, you know, some of the concepts that we're putting out there as far as enjoying the game, you can go there. Uh, you can also support the show by going to our Patreon at patreon.com slash socialcontractedh or search for the social contract in the bar at the homepage. Uh, it's not required by any means, but it does help the show. It helps us keep the lights on and it lets us know that, you know, you're out there, you're listening and you're enjoying what we're putting out there. Yeah, my huge shout out to our, to our patrons. Whether you are one of our patrons, one of the people on our discord uh one of our longtime listeners or this is your first episode we appreciate you listening thank you so much until the next time we'll talk to you soon